Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. If I've not met you, whether in person here or watching on the live stream, my name's Scott, and I'm the pastor at Christ Church. And um, man, it's always thrilling to be here in the presence of God together. Um, 2020 has been really hard on a lot of people, and the people it's not been hard on are the people who sell yard signs. Um, the Zoom guys, the yard sign people, and Netflix have gotten out like bandits uh, this year. A lot of yard signs. Uh, there's always been yard signs, but Matt, Madison is a particularly yard signy type place, um, and they're all over the place. There's a lot of issues in the world. There's a lot of things that we deeply care about as people. Uh, that we think are worth fighting for or fighting against, that we're passionate about. Um, but what we put up in a yard sign is to be the things that matters to us most um, or a group of issues that matter to us most. So we put them up to support a cause uh, or to say, hey, I stand for this person or for this issue. Uh, and you might have seen, it's now kind of ubiquitous, the in this house we believe kind of begins the, the yard sign. Which, by the way, did you know that that really famous one that you see in this house we believe started in Madison and has been exported to the rest of the world? Fascinating. Okay, what about Jesus? What was most important to Jesus? If Jesus had a yard sign, what would the issue be? What would the, what would the group of issues be on his yard sign? And I know that seems like a ridiculous preacher, like, yeah, blah, if Jesus had a yard sign, like classic sermon set up, but actually, Jesus is asked this almost exact question in our gospel reading this morning. Um, in Jesus' day, there was debate amongst rabbis as to what were the weightier and what were the lighter matters of the law. So in the Old Testament, the rabbis counted 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Have you ever gone through the Old Testament and counted up how many commandments there were? Well, these guys did, and there were 613. To be exact, there were 248 positive commands, you shall, and there were 365 negative commands, you shall not. And the discussion, the debate was, which are the ones that really matter? Which are the ones way more in a set of scales than the other ones? Some people thought if you were a true Jew, if you were going to be true and hardcore, every single one of those 613 weighed the exact same. They're all, they all matter. They're all legit. Some people disagreed and thought that there were certain issues that weighed more than other issues, that were more important. Some people, regardless of what they said, and we see Jesus calling people out on this, said one thing and put greater emphasis on one of the laws than another one. But it's a big debate, and it's not unlike our debates when we're thinking about voting. We've just been through an election season, and chances are you care about a lot of things, but some things you really care about. That's what's behind the great question that Jesus is asked in the third question of this temple gotcha scene. Uh, so turn with me to Matthew 22, verse 34. If you have a Bible at home, I'd recommend to grab a Bible. If you have a Bible with you and you're here, please open with me to Matthew 22. Uh, it's also in our bulletin. Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And you can't gloss over that. Remember before, the Pharisees had teamed up with the Herodians, um, and we just saw the Pharisees asked the 
uh, taxes question about Caesar, and then they got owned, and the, the Sadducees watched, watched them get you know, pinned down in the ring, and they were like, ha, ha, ha. Then the Sadducees got in, and they asked the resurrection question, and the Pharisees watched them get pinned down, and now they gather together. These guys are not, you know, on the same team all the time, and here they are. And incidentally, the phrase in Greek, they gather together, is the exact same phrase that's used in Psalm 2, which we read together, when it says that the kings of the earth gather together against the Lord and his anointed. So this is really significant that all the people now who are in different parties and sects of religion and everything are now teaming up to try to come against the Messiah. Continuing in Matthew, verse 35. And one of them, a lawyer, we have a lot of lawyers in our church, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And you can kind of understand that question it is, in a sense, which one, but it's also what kind of commandment is the, is the greatest in the law. What's amazing is that Jesus answers this question before we move on. Uh, you've seen him deal with questions that he's been asked so far in this gospel passage in different ways. He doesn't say here, that's a ridiculous, simplistic question. I'm not going to answer that. He actually doesn't hesitate and actually believes that there is something that weighs the most in all of the 613 commandments. What does he say? Verse 37, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. couple things I want to point out about Jesus' answer. And uh, if you look, I put a very cool little graph in your sermon page. Uh, last week, there was a picture, which was very high-tech for us. This week, we have a graph. So we're just getting super, man, I don't know, creative. Uh, if you're watching and if you have a pen, you can write on it. If this isn't helpful to you, that's totally fine. My wife, Marissa, always asks me to do these kind of things because she finds she's kind of a kinetic learner. Um, you can see it on your bulletin page if you look at the sermon thing. But this helped me understand kind of what Jesus is saying. First, notice everything in what Jesus responds about what he thinks weighs the most in the scales can be summarized in and depends upon love. What's most important to Jesus is love. Put that in your top blank, love, the four-letter word. The focal point of both of these commandments that we see is the imperative, the command to love. And I know that sounds John Lennon and kind of hippie cheesy, but I hope you can see that's what Jesus says. If you were here last fall, we, we spent four weeks thinking about this fact, that this is what God cares most about, is the call to love. If you're new to Christianity or you're watching and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, do you see how what's central to what Jesus cares most about, the Son of God, is that we love but it's not uh, warm and fuzzy. It's not ambiguous because of how he directs the command to love. So first he says we are to love God, and I want you to put the word God in your top left blank. So love is at the top, and on the one hand, we're to love God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. 
And to just unpack that a little bit, this is not a AA type thing where we just need to believe in God or a higher power in general, and it doesn't matter uh, if it's a specific higher power or God. When Jesus says, the Lord your God, that is the covenant name for the God of Israel. Um, Jesus is quoting the Shema in Deuteronomy. This is a specific God, the one God who created the heavens and the earth, who's revealed in the Old Testament and revealed, most importantly, in Jesus Christ. So this isn't just a spiritual feeling. It's not just believing in a sense of greatness. It's having a specific relationship with the one true God. It's right worship. And that's what I want you to put in your second blank on the left side. So for my note takers, love is at the top. And then it's God, love God, and that is right worship. And right worship, just to unpack it a little bit more, doesn't mean just going to church. It's not like as long as I, you know, am religious and kind of check my boxes, I'm good. It means following the God revealed in the Bible with your whole life. Um, In our Anglican wedding liturgy, if you've ever been to an Anglican wedding, At the exchanging of rings, the bride and the groom say, I give you this ring as a symbol of my vow, and with all that I am and with all that I have, I honor you. That's what it means with God. St. Paul says that we have been betrothed to one groom, and it's being in this starstruck, covenanted relationship with the one true God and giving our whole life to him. Jesus is saying, More than anything else in your life, and this is good to just be reminded, that's what Jesus says is most important in your life, is that you are in that loving relationship with God who's loved us first. That is what our sin chiefly steals from us, is that relationship with God, and that is what Jesus' cross and resurrection chiefly restores, is that relationship. It's amazing. Now, what's the opposite? The opposite of that command, love the Lord your God, is idolatry. Put that in your last blank. So you should be seeing love at the top, love God, it's right worship. And the opposite of that, if we could put it in a word or a concept, is idolatry. Idolatry is worshiping and loving and living your life for something else that's not God. And that's bad. Okay. So we got one side filled out. I hope this is helpful. Um, Jesus goes on and says, even that's the most important thing, there's a second that is like it, and that is love of neighbor. So top right, put neighbor. So we've got love, one way it's directed towards God, and the other way it's directed towards neighbor. And when Jesus says love your neighbor, he doesn't mean have a bunch of warm fuzzies about the human race in general. Jesus is not talking about the idea of humanity or liking humanity. No, the word neighbor for Jesus, if you read the Gospels, it actually means like the people in your life, like who are annoying and have warts and stuff. Uh, These are the people in your church, in your neighborhood, in your actual family, at your Thanksgiving table, um, office space, whatever, the people in your life. And Jesus doesn't mean just have warm fuzzies for those people. For this command, did you hear from Leviticus? Jesus is quoting Leviticus 19. And if you look back at that or just remember it, you can see from that reading, it's not primarily about right feeling for other people. It's about right action. And that's what I want you to put in your second blank on the right side. So you've got God, neighbor, and then you've got right worship, right action. 
in Leviticus, this is amazing. The context of love your neighbor as yourself is in a passage that's talking about wages for the poor, equality in the court system, and bearing a grudge (laughs) and gossiping, which is so comprehensive, right? So it is 100% about social justice, absolutely. And it's also about not gossiping about your friend in high school, both of those things. Now, what's the opposite of love for neighbor? Starts with an I. Can you guess? Yes, nailed it, injustice. That's your last blank. So if you're like me and you really care to have outlines filled out when somebody's working through one, we've got love at the top, and then on the right, it goes to neighbor. That's right action, love of neighbor, and that is the opposite of injustice. So there you have it. These are the values and the commandments that matter most to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He says everything else, all the other 611 commandments in the Old Testament come from, depend upon, flower out of these two. And all this holds true throughout Scripture. Um, Because we don't have childcare, again, we're trying to keep our services shorter and our sermons shorter. I would love to go on an hour-long walk through Scripture of showing you how these two things play out. But just for an example, did you hear the reading that Julie read uh, from James? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. It sounds a lot like justice and love, and love of neighbor, right? And to keep oneself unstained from the world, which is holiness language. This is what made the early church unique. Their love for God was revolutionary because it was specific to the one true covenanted God. Their love for neighbor was revolutionary because it was for everyone, regardless of race, gender, class, religion. Jesus doesn't say to love one type of person. It's amazing. And this is what should make the modern church utterly unique, right? Because these two issues, I have found, get often co-opted and divided in our culture wars in America. But sadly, it's too often true that our church tends to reflect that and that sometimes we end up kind of advocating or leaning for one of these sides instead of the other. So if I can just see if I can apply this really quick. Those of us who are more socially progressive, are passionate about social justice, we fight hard against injustice and equality. Uh, Like Amos, you may have heard the famous Amos passage, we see all the issues in our world which are there and the brokenness and the oppression, and we tear our cloak in a prophetic way, and we cry out, let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And that is a true and beautiful and biblical impulse. We praise God for that prophetic voice that comes from the Bible. But often, those of us who lean towards that way aren't as bothered about the fact that our nation and our city, as Paul says, is full of idols. Or about the sexual and relational immorality that always accompanies idolatry, which is true in Scripture. So you have lots of tweets about justice, not as many tweets about that. If I can go the other way, likewise, those of us who are more conservative tend to be passionate about holiness, 
about the right worship of the one true God. We, like Moses, to pick another prophet, come down from the mountain and see a culture that is utterly curved in on itself, passionate for sexual perversion and a culture of death, and we smash our tablets and we cry out for everyone to turn and repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus. That is also 100% prophetic and beautiful and true and biblical. But often, it is not paired with a passion for the poor or for equality. So lots of tweets about family and God, not a lot about the refugee or racism. The takeaway from Jesus' teaching is simple. And it's really good. The church is called to be passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. Amen? In all of its fullness, in all of its simplicity, which I think it's both. Love of God and love of neighbor. Right worship, right action. Justice and holiness. That is both of the church's prophetic outcry is justice and holiness. Brothers and sisters, we cannot let the culture wars divide what is intrinsic to the gospel. Amen? We cannot let the culture wars divide what is intrinsic to the gospel. A society that loves God but forgets the poor does not love God. James is really clear about that. The prophets are really clear about that. A society that fights for justice and equality but overlooks idolatry and immorality is doomed from the start. The Bible's very clear about that. Behold, the unique example in his life and teaching of Jesus Christ in all its profound simplicity and beauty and uniqueness. There is no other party or cultural platform that brings these things together like Jesus. Just not there. There's no yard sign that encompasses this. My dream has always been to have a yard sign of the Apostles' Creed with like five of them in my front yard. But I feel like that would be a little bit too pharisaical. Well, in this house, we believe in God the Father, you know, like, there's no yard sign. But there is meant to be one place on earth that these love values are brought together and shine like a beacon. There is one place on earth where counterculturally into the rest of the world, this type of life and love is meant to exist and manifest itself. And where is that? in Jesus' body, the church. What an opportunity we have as a people today to take in ourselves these two things as we become like Jesus, as we get excited what he gets excited about. And you know what? We have to have each other in order to do that. We have to be a body with many members to bear that full witness because God has gifted different people, different of you watching the live stream, all of those here today, he's gifted us to see different things and be passionate about different things with the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are Amos's, some of you are Moses's, some of you are other types of prophets throughout scripture, and that's a good thing. Moses, who's smashing tablets over idolatry and immorality, needs to hear Amos crying out for justice in the streets. And Amos needs to hear Moses. They're both in the Bible, and they're both in our churches in the kingdom of God. 
You always think the problem is what God has gifted you with. That's a thing. You're always going to critique, or not, maybe if it's not critique, you're always going to think the issue with an institution or a church is the thing that you're good at. And that's, a, that's true because that's how your gifting is. And it's the same with these type of things. God has gifted some of you to be a part of a justice movement in the church in a really powerful way. And it's true for Moses and the right worship of God. So we come together. We need each other to exist and embody that full witness of Jesus. Personally, just as a pastor, I think we have both voices in our church. And I thank God for that. How is the Holy Spirit applying this to you right now as we end? Have you overcomplicated your faith? Have you forgotten that it's all about love? Because it is. If you're not yet a Christian, maybe you want to know more about how Jesus makes it possible for you to have a relationship with the one true God. I'd love to chat with you more about that. Have you allowed yourself to lean so heavily to one side that maybe you've forgotten about the other side? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.